Well, it is here, folks. The off-season is over. We are in race week, and the 2023 Formula One season is just about ready to get started. The Bahrain Grand Prix. Yeah, we had testing last weekend, but now 23 races make up the 2023 calendar. Max Verstappen, the two-time reigning champion. A number of new faces on the grid, but the same old storylines. We're going to get to those, what to watch for this weekend at the Bahrain Grand Prix. We've also got a little track talk. We'll go over the Circuit, what to watch for there, and then give you an idea of what we learned from preseason testing. I'm Tony Desiri. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. And if this is your first time listening to this, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and I hope you become a frequent listener all season long. This is season number three, and this has been one of my favorite side projects that I have done uh, in my career. Really excited to go into our third season here on the Overtake F1 podcast. We do ours a little differently. You'll hear other podcasts where they have like a round table, a number of different voices. It's just me talking to you, telling you my thoughts and my opinions and my news analysis of what is going on in the sport. We do race previews, we do race reviews, and then every now and then I'll throw in a podcast if nothing's going on just to talk about the news of the day. So please, please subscribe to the podcast. Keep up with what we're doing all season long. If you'd like to reach me on Twitter, you can do so at Tony D Radio. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at Tony D radio show at yahoo.com. All right. So we are hitting into the season opener. We just had a weekend of testing later on in the podcast. We'll get a review of what the teams did in the days of testing at Bahrain. But right now it's time to focus on the season opener. And there are five storylines and we do this for our previews, five things to watch for. There are five storylines. I'm kind of paying attention to as we get ready to kick off this season. And number one is chasing the champs. And this is not so much a Max Verstappen thing. This is more of a Red Bull constructors thing, because what we learned from testing is Red Bull looks just as dominant as they did last year. Now, preseason testing is interesting because it's like uh, it's even more detailed than an NFL preseason game, but like NFL preseason, you can learn nothing. You can learn a little bit. You, you don't really learn a lot, but you can you can get a feel for some things that the team may be working through. Preseason testing is like that. Uh, teams will do race simulation, but they'll also go out in different fuel loads. They'll try different tires. So preseason testing can give you some really valuable information, but you don't really want to make solid, solid decisions on teams future based on preseason testing. But that being said, there has been nothing out of the three days in Bahrain last weekend to indicate that Red Bull is going to slow down one iota. As a matter of fact, they're looking as strong as ever after winning 17 of the 22 races last year with Max Verstappen winning 15 of those races. They're looking to continue on. Now, who can challenge them? Well, early in the season last year, it was Ferrari. Charles Leclerc took race number one and three, came in second in race two, and actually had a very nice lead after Australia. And it looked like Ferrari had things dialed in. And yes, while there were going to be Red Bull tracks, in the end, it looked like Ferrari was in a pretty good position to run through the rest of the season if they were going to continue to be strong, that they were going to end up winning constructors and a driver's championship. But the moment we got to Imola and Max Verstappen took the checkered flag there, they were off to the races after. After that, and Ferrari played catch up with all of its problems. So now we go into this season with Ferrari under a new boss. 
Fred Vasseur is taking over from Matteo Bonato. And this is an, a big, big deal because this is something that Ferrari is going to need. A guy that really has got his hands onto the racing department of this team. I always felt like Matteo Bonato was fine, but I always felt like this team really needed a real swift kick. I thought we got a lot of mixed messages from Ferrari publicly. They were kind of denying things that we were seeing on the track. And I don't think Vasseur is going to be that kind of team principal. But the other team to watch out for, of course, is Mercedes, because for so long they've spent, uh, they were on top. And last year, the car just did not come together right away. And the porpoising issue and all of that, they've got that straightened out. But do they have enough to give Red Bull any sort of challenge at all? But I think the bigger question is, and I hate to put it this way, because again, this is one of the dominating teams in the sport. Do they have enough to compete with Ferrari? I mean, that's really the battle. I mean, that's really kind of the idea going into the season opener is that Red Bull right now, as George Russell said, is in a class above itself right now. Red, Mercedes and Ferrari could be the teams that are competing for the right to at least challenge Red Bull. Right. So you need to get off to a good start. If this is what you want to do, if you want to challenge the champs, if you're going to play catch up, good luck with that. If you're going to start off out of the gates with a couple of DNFs and a couple of problems or anything that happens in the Grand Prix and this weekend, and you're expecting that at some point it's okay because you'll just catch up to Red Bull later. Remember, Red Bull can catch you. You can't catch them. And that, I think, is going to be a real problem for these teams if they don't get off to a good start. So one of the things that I'm watching for this weekend is those two teams in particular, because there's just a big three right now. How good do those two teams look on Sunday? Because they're going to need to get a really high finish if they are going to want to at least take a first step in the right direction and click off one of the 23 races as being competitive with Red Bull. On the flip side of that, if Red Bull has a dominating day and Max wins and Sergio Perez comes in second or third, then that's my biggest worry could be that 2023 is nothing more than a 23 race parade to another championship, both on the constructors and the driver's side. All right, the second thing I'm watching for this weekend is rookies on the grid because there are three of them on the F1 grid this season. Oscar Piastri, Logan Sargent, Nick DeVries. Our season preview, we talked about why these drivers are getting the rides that they are. Just to give it to you in a nutshell, some made a big splash and some just got it because they deserved it. Let's go to Nick DeVries for a second. This has been a guy that's sort of been waiting to get an F1 ride and it came. And I think a lot of it was because of filling in for Alex Albon at Monza in a Williams and getting that Williams in points. And it started opening people's eyes and maybe this kid can really get into a Formula One car. Alpha Tauri had an opening when Pierre Gasly left for Alpine and Nick DeVries became an F1 driver. As far as Oscar Piastri, you know the drama behind that. And if you don't, it's probably worth your time to go over it because it was really wild. An Alpine driver, Alpine is going to move him up. There's an opening. Fernando Alonso is leaving the team. He He's going to get an F1 ride with Alpine, but wait, he denies it on Twitter, says, hold on, I'm not doing that. I'm actually going to be signing and riding for McLaren. And it goes into the sort of courts, the contract courts, and it is upheld. And Oscar Priyastri, the Australian young man, getting advice and going in a direction where he wants to be a McLaren driver, is now a McLaren driver, even though he took a ton of arrows from people who saying, this is not how you do it, kid. But 
Remember, he's also the president of Oscar Piastri Incorporated. So if there is a loophole that allows him to be on a team that he feels would give him a best chance to be successful and he can do it legally, he might as well take that advantage. Yeah, there was a lot of guilt like we paid for you and we helped your development. But again, contracts are contracted. If there's an opening and it can be to your advantage, you take advantage of taking that advantage. Right. If you, you know, that's that's basically how that should go. We see it in other sports. Why wouldn't we see it in F1? It's it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of sport, but it's also a two-way street. And, of course, the other rookie on the grid is Logan Sargent. And I think for those of us in the United States, while he's definitely not the first American driver to be on the grid, and he's not even the first American driver to be on the grid recently. I mean, 2015 wasn't 100 years ago for Alexander Rossi. But it's kind of important because... You're, you're, you're sort of in this pot, right? If you're Liberty Media, you've got this stew, and the stew is getting Americans interested in Formula One, right? So there's a number of ingredients that you want to put in the stew. And one of the ingredients is we need more races in the United States. Done. Last year, Miami's on the schedule. This year, Miami and Las Vegas are on the schedule to go along with Austin hosting the United States Grand Prix. That's one major ingredient. Two, drive to survive. You hope it catches on with non-race fans. And it did. It turned people who did not know a thing about this sport into people that devoured everything that they could about Formula One. Looking at the publications online, looking at different sports media publications, looking for more Formula One content, watching races, getting up and watching races. We're seeing an increase in television audience in the United States. And by the way, the crowds at both Austin and Miami are, it's intense, intense. And you couple that with Las Vegas, the glitz and the glamour of that city racing under the lights. That's another ingredient. But the other ingredient that you want, one of the main ingredients that you want is an American driver. And we've had American, we've had 57 of them. So like at, at some point in the 73 years that this sport has been around, we've had 57 people from the United States racing at least one race in Formula One in its history. We've had two champions, Philip Paul and Mario Andretti. Alexander Rossi, the last American driver on the grid in 2015. So it, but, but Logan Sargent is going to be a little different because it's coming at a time where, again, Liberty Media is making the stew. And the stew is, can we get more people in the United States interested? So these are the three things that I'm looking out for. I remember when Colton Herta was being talked about as the next American driver on the grid. Remember that? And he he didn't have the super license points and whatnot. And there was this conversation amongst those of us in the American media covering Formula One that, okay, if you get an American driver on the grid, is that good enough? Or does he have to be on a team that's at least competitive in the midfield? He wasn't going to race for Red Bull, and he wasn't going to drive for Mercedes, he wasn't going to drive for Ferrari, but could he be on a competitive midfield team? Meaning, U.S. fans seeing him having some success getting the car in the points, not necessarily consistently, but enough to say this is successful. I think Williams is way, way off. I think they're going through a rebuild. They're, they're, they had been they had been improving, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that they're going to have a number of races where they can get in the points. But I think this year, they'll be lucky to get a few in the points. And so what will that mean for an American audience, a brand new American audience, saying, you know what, I can like this guy. He's from my country. 
But if the results aren't there, if it's just 15th place finishes and 16th place finishes and back into the grid and some DNFs thrown in there, how long will that be? The other thing, though, to consider, and I've noticed this with a lot of my friends, my personal friends that, that have come to me to tell me that they're interested in Formula One, they're not looking for an American driver to root for. They found the guys they're rooting for. They found the teams that they like. Right. I, I mean, all my all young, my son's young friends, for example, are all Max Verstappen fans. The older friends that I know that are getting into Formula One, they like Lewis Hamilton or, the, or they like Daniel Ricardo before he left the grid. I mean, they, there was they found people already to like it didn't matter if they were Australian or whether they were from Britain or whether they were from the Netherlands or what, whoever. They didn't look and see a non-American and went, well, I, I'll only get into this sport if American is behind the wheel. But it but it does matter to see the American flag next to a driver's name. It does matter. So those are the three rookies that I'm watching for. I'm really curious about Piastri, though. And I'm going to get to it a little bit later when we talk about testing, because I think McLaren's in some trouble. And I wonder if the people who are giving him advice gave him the right advice when it came to be, be, being the behind the wheel of a McLaren car. The third thing I'm watching out for in the Bahrain Grand Prix this weekend is the result of Fernando Alonso. And I'll be honest, I'm looking at Fernando Alonso's results all season long. If there's one driver overall that I really am going to be paying attention to, it's him. His move to Aston Martin last season, where he announced that that's who he would be driving for in 2023, and he was going to leave Alpine, that really opened a lot of eyes because he was going to be replacing Sebastian Vettel. He was going to team up with Lawrence Stroll's team. And there was a feeling like Aston Martin was going to be building something. I mean, they, they didn't have a very good season, um, but they were building things, right? They had a new facility, felt like there was some new progress in the way they were building their car. And Alonzo saw it as well and was willing to say, look, I don't have very many years left. I came back into the sport. I'm a two-time world champion. I want to compete. I want to compete up towards the front, maybe not for championships. Well, I'm going to lounge around back here. And I think he felt like this team was on the move forward. And as we will get to later on in this podcast, if there's one team, people went, whoa, during testing, it was them. Uh, last year, they didn't have their card dialed in. It was also the final season of Sebastian Vettel. So it was kind of like the, the results weren't there, but it didn't matter because everybody was saying goodbye to Seb. They finished seventh in the Constructors' Championship with just 55 points. But I think Alonso really is seeing what a lot of people were wondering. When was the, all of the buildup going to pay off? And I think you might see it in 2023, especially with him behind the wheel. Number four on the list of things to watch out for this weekend, and this is for me personally, is teammates, old and new. We'll start with the number one team, and that is Red Bull with Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying, if you're a longtime sort of fan of Formula One, you know that you don't have to be best friends with your teammate. That's not something you have to do. In fact, some of the great rivalries in the sport happen within the team, right? But there's going to be some differences that are going to come up, all right? And there's going to be some conflict that's going to come up. It's natural. We saw Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen as these teammates that worked so well together when Max Verstappen was and Lewis Hamilton were battling it out. Remember Abu Dhabi? Well, we always remember Abu Dhabi for the controversial Michael Massey call at the end. But how many of you remember the great performance of Sergio Perez, who held up Lewis Hamilton enough for Max Verstappen to catch him, where Verstappen said, ah, Checo's a legend, right? The, they worked so well together. 
And last year at Brazil, there was this conflict on the radio, right? Where they wanted Verstappen to give a place up for Sergio Perez, who was trying to catch Charles Leclerc in the, in the driver's standings. And that Verstappen didn't do it. He didn't do it. And afterwards, he, you know, Verstappen was on the radio saying, we talked about this. Don't ask me to do it again. Sergio kind of blew it off like, you know, that's just who he is. We know who he is. All right. Well, they worked it out, right? But will there be a certain circumstance pop up, right? Verstappen felt it was the, the story about Verstappen feeling like that Sergio Perez crashed in Portier in Monaco, denying him a killer lap. I mean, all the, all that stuff, all that infighting with teams. Well, did they work it out? They say they did. We'll see. Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly. Well, th- these two are never going to be best friends. They're never going to be friendly, but they keep saying that it doesn't matter. They're teammates and they're professional and they're going to make Alpine the best it could possibly be. But again, you don't have to be best friends with your teammate, but you have to get along with your teammate just enough. They're going to be in meetings together. They're going to do PR together. They're going to be around each other a lot. Now they may not get along and their differences may never come together and, and they may never work it out, but it does not mean they can't be a good team, but pay attention to that as well as Haas because Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnuson aren't exactly best friends either. And we know that from an incident before, but the reality of it is again, if you can work together and be professional, you can create good things on the track. You've got to share some information. You've got to be in meetings together and help each other out. We will see if again, these two guys, these two teams will work together and produce good results for both Alpine and Haas this season on based on their expectations this year, McLaren, Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri. Now Lando is one of my favorite drivers because he's got a very warm personality and he's a hell of a talent. And one of these days, it's going to be a victory lane celebration, right? He's going to be on top of the podium. I don't know when because this car stinks, right? And I and I doubt it's coming anytime soon. But the reality of it is, is Oscar Piastri is now in Formula One. And these are two young guys on a very, very good team with a bad car. And what I mean by that is McLaren is one of the more iconic teams in the sport, but they're struggling in their car development. So there's going to be a high profile of these two guys because of the team they're on and the fan base that, they, that it has around the world, but the results aren't going to be there. And for Piastri, this is where the trouble could come. Lando knows this, and he signed an extension with McLaren that he probably wishes he could get out of. But Oscar Piastri skipped out on Alpine to join this team, and they might finish behind Alpine based on what we're seeing from this car in preseason testing. And there doesn't seem to be a ton of confidence that anything better is going to be coming down as the season progresses. That could build up in frustration. Now, I don't think it's frustration against each other, but let's see how these two work through that frustration if indeed McLaren can't get that car up to a level that people want to see it, and that's high in the midfield. And then there's the one that I found really interesting last year. I don't think I have to I find it as interesting this year, but last year I found it interesting, and that was Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. 
And the reason I found it interesting last year was because Lewis Hamilton is a seven-time champion, and he's the chief guy at Mercedes. He's the number one guy at Mercedes. But George Russell had been waiting and waiting and waiting to get that Mercedes ride. And I kept wondering last year is how much those two would, would feed off of each other, how much could George Russell absorb from the success of Lewis Hamilton. But when the season started to progress where Russell was in the top five and Hamilton was struggling, I kept wondering about it. I don't think there's so much of that this year. Russell got that first win. He got the only win for Mercedes last year. He's not taken over the team. He's not the alpha driver. But in the end, the future is with George Russell. The future is going to be with him as Hamilton tries to figure out how many years he's got left in this sport. So again, number four, five teammates, both old and new, I'm watching for in the Bahrain Grand Prix. All right, let's get to the fifth one. And that, and this one, I think, goes without saying. And that is the dominance of Max Verstappen. In the first one on the top five things I'm watching for, I talked about the teams that are chasing Red Bull. Now I'm going to just talk about Red Bull. We are talking about one of the greatest Formula One seasons for a driver in the history of the sport. Max Verstappen took 15 of the 22 races. It's about 68% of the races that were run. And he loves the car this season. 100% better than last year's dominating car. Look out. And he's also never won at Bahrain. So I think that's going to change this weekend because I think he likes to go after tracks that he hasn't won before. Nevertheless, George Russell said Red Bull is in a league of their own. That's my biggest worry for the 2023 season. You know, in 2021, we had one of the greatest title fights the sport has ever seen. Then 2022, we saw a dominating performance, but we didn't see competitiveness. So you could watch for the history, but you didn't see the, the competition that made 2021 so appealing. Could we just get a repeat of that? I mean, if Red Bull's car... Again, there, there wasn't a ton of rule changes here. Like the, the car is pretty much the same. And now it feels like Red Bull's even better. And that's got to worry a lot of people. So Ferrari, Mercedes, they've got to do exponentially better this season in, for, in order for them to be in the league that Red Bull's in right now. But to Verstappen for a second here, if he has a similar season, 14 wins, 13 wins, doesn't matter. We're going to see a level of dominance that we've seen before in the sport, but it'll be this era. It'll be the Verstappen era. Like it was the Hamilton era, the Schumacher era. You go back, go back in, back in the history of the sport and find these sort of moments where one team, one driver in particular is just carrying it over from year to year. This is where Verstappen is. You can make the argument it didn't exist in 2021, right? Because even though we knew Verstappen was extremely talented and had a load, a load of potential, one championship doesn't make a dynasty. One Super Bowl doesn't make a dynasty. Even if you can see dynasty coming, you can't label it yet. And winning a world championship on a controversial decision is not the start of a dynasty. But last year was a start of a dynasty because then he got the second championship in the dominating performance that he had. And now it looks like 2023 is just going to be a repeat of that. Watch this weekend to see how Verstappen's car, does it, does it just get ahead of everybody? Does he perform in a way like he did at Japan and, and other places last year? We just ran away with it. Everybody was just a sitting duck. And even if he was behind, like he was in, in Spa or even at Austin where he had an 11 second pit stop, but it didn't matter because he was going to catch Lewis Hamilton no matter what. If he has that kind of performance on Sunday, 
you're going to watch a year where it's just going to be another Verstappen win after win after win. And Christian Horner getting on the, on the radio at the end, telling Max how he's just absolutely the best in the business. All right, so those are the five things I'm watching out for for the Bahrain Grand Prix. It's time to do a little track talk. This is where we go over the circuit. The Bahrain International Circuit has 15 corners, has three DRS zones. This is one of those tracks where I've got to admit, it's not one of my favorites on the calendar. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. In fact, I I even lukewarm like it. The cars coming off the grid will make a right-hand turn into turn one. It's kind of a short right, left, right, and that'll take you to a short straight, and that's the first DRS zone on the circuit. It leads to a sweeping right-hander. They kind of go down the hill a little bit into some uh, uh, some S's, a little, a little S, a little back and forth. That leads to a couple of more turns to the second DRS zone coming off of turn number 10, and that's a shorter DRS straight, but nevertheless, big sweeping left-hander at turn 11. You get to the top of turn 13. That will take you into a long straight down to turn 14, but there's no DRS there. Instead, as you're coming off turn 14, a little short sort of twist to the right, and then you head down the long straight into turn number one. That's your third and final DRS zone. The first Bahrain Grand Prix was held in 2004. It had a cancellation in 2011. Max Verstappen, as I mentioned earlier, has never won in Bahrain. There's only two active drivers that have taken the checkered flag for this Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton, who's won there five times. Fernando Alonso, who has won there three. All right, as far as tires, Pirelli bringing the hardest compound tires, C1 for the hard, C2 for the medium, C3 for the softs. Very, very abrasive asphalt. Bunch of low to medium speed corners. Uh, traction and braking will be in big demand on these tires. Um, and also you need some good stability on the car. So that's our track talk segment for the Bahrain international circuit. All right, let's quickly go to testing that happened over three days last weekend. Again, you're looking for some information here, but nothing's really set in stone. It's like preseason football. You can gain a little, you can learn a little bit. You can learn a lot. It's a little different. You can learn some really good nuggets in preseason testing. It's kind of why reporters go there because there is things to, to sort of dissect. You know, there are times that you want to see and you want to see progress and you want to see some things that might be a problem. But the one big nugget that was the big takeaway after the three days was if you loved Red Bull last year, you're going to love them this year. As I said earlier, there's not a lot of rule changes uh, that are into the card this season. So if you were good last year, you're going to be good this year. And Red Bull was excellent last year. 17 out of the 22 races they won with Sergio Perez twice and Max Verstappen winning 15 out of 15 races. So the RB18 was great. The RB19 is even better, according to Max Verstappen, right? He didn't like some things about the RB18 and they look like they have got it worked out for this car. He says it's a hundred percent better than it was last year. Well, that's got to be crazy talk because that's one of the best drives of a car we've ever seen in Formula One history. Nevertheless, if he's talking like that, and there is a lot of showmanship here, don't 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 misread this. There, there's always a little playing around with the press, saying positive things, never really telling you the truth, but there's no reason not to believe him. He's that excited about the RB19 going into this season. Well, what about the competitors? Well, there are a couple of things last year with Ferrari that didn't really last all season long, right? 
right? So the straight line speed was a problem for Ferrari. That was an issue because every, they would get to positions and they would get in races where Red Bull would creep up on them in straight line speed. It looks like they are a bit quicker based on some laps in preseason testing this season. So the, uh, the SF23 is improved in that department. There was some reliability issues that they've got to take care of this year. Uh, but nevertheless, people are excited about the Ferrari car, but not as excited as Red Bull's excited about the Red Bull car. Um, Charles Leclerc, though, made it very clear, right? This is championship or bust now. They had a little bit of a taste. There's Ferrari says this all the time, but, but you know some years it's more realistic than others. But he's that's it. They already did the second in constructors, second in drivers thing. Now it's world championship time. But I don't know. I don't think they've got the car yet uh, that can match Red Bull in terms of just being there consistently and then seeing what happens. But Fred Vasseur is the now the team principal, and I think this is a big, big boost to Ferrari's chances. Again, there were some real issues last year. We documented them all. But hopefully they get a lot of that worked out this season under the guidance of Fred Vasseur. Mercedes has clearly got some work to do. The W14 was not really the impressive car of the weekend. Lewis Hamilton says that they've got some work to do, but it's better than what they noticed last year when they had all those porpoising issues. And they sort of realized with testing in the first race of, of the season that Mercedes wasn't going to be in contention. Hamilton said on Saturday, there's some things that they need to work on. It's still not perfect, but we're not able to match Red Bulls currently or even the Ferraris. So, that is something that Mercedes is going to have to get worked on this season. We saw them progress last year, but it was a little too late. Hopefully some of the issues that happened for them in preseason testing, they'll be able to get the W14 up and running and up to speed to at least be one of the three cars up at front where they're supposed to be. But, if you want to talk about a big nugget going to Red Bull and their sort of dominating weekend and testing and how good they looked, but a bigger nugget might be Aston Martin because the hype is really justified on their car. I think Lawrence Stroll and his team has really put together a fantastic car this season based on some consistency. There was one report out of the athletic Luke Smith pointed out. I thought this was a, they really said a lot during race simulation. Fernando Alonso did 17 laps and all of the laps were in what were in a seventh, 10th of a second of each other. That is real consistency. So this is good stuff for Aston Martin. They've been wait, They've been working on this car for a while. They had to put up with a bad season in order to get it to where it is. Um, if you're talking about midfield teams right now that are in the driver's seat, not to use a pun, it's them. It, it really is them. And McLaren is it has some real struggles, and it was really eye-popping, um, some of the struggles that they had. And so those are some of the nuggets that we take away from preseason testing. It can mean a little bit. It can mean a lot. It depends on how you want to view it, but we'll get a bigger picture this weekend, at least in qualifying coming up on Saturday. All right, next week we'll have our Bahrain Grand Prix review and we'll go over every team and all of their performances and the storylines from the race. Once again, if you like the podcast, please subscribe to it. Share it with your friends. I'd love to see it grow in year number three. We saw some growth in the first two years. I'm really looking forward to seeing this pop even more. Thank you for joining us again next week, the Bahrain Grand Prix review. I'm Tony Desiri, and this is the Overtake F1 podcast. <laughs>